Accountability is God's job. But it's not solely God's job. No, it's our job too. We will be the plan. We are never going to give up. When the truth is known to the entire world, we are going to have extreme accountability. Good evening and welcome to a special edition of the Stu Peters Show. I'm here with Dr. Brian Artis. Uh, amazing to see you again. It's uh, great to see you. Yeah, you look great. Uh, 2020, okay, March. We've got a novel coronavirus that we're all hearing about. Uh, we're seeing videos of people collapsing and dying in the streets in China. Everybody is scared to death about what's happening. Uh, we're hearing talks about a pandemic coming our way. We haven't heard this kind of language for an incredibly long time. Uh, mothers and fathers are scared for their kids. Um, you know, there's, there's talks of lockdowns and people are going to the hospital. Um, nobody was dying at home. Nobody was dying in the street. It didn't look right. Something didn't add up. It wasn't the same as what the press was telling us was going to happen. What happened? Yeah, none of that was happening here in the United States. The only place it happened at in the United States, starting in March and April of 2020, was in New York City in several hospitals. And uh, the disgusting part of that was they were using an experimental drug called remdesivir that Dr. Anthony Fauci said in the first part of May declared as an EUA, this is going to be the only drug we use to treat COVID-19 hospitalized Americans. And that is because of what they saw as a reaction to the drug being used from March and April of 2020 in those New York City hospitals. But that isn't what you're being told in the media. You're being told these people were dying and they were loading up bodies, filling up tractor trailer trailers in these New York City's hospitals because they were dying from COVID-19. Unbeknownst to everybody else, the nurses that were there were able to report back to me and others that it was actually, they were putting remdesivir notices on the ICU rooms and not allowing nurses to go into those rooms in those hospitals in those early months of COVID in New York City. And it was said on the actual placards on the doors no entry allowed remdesivir clinical trial going on. So they were actually pumping an experimental drug into these people in New York City. It was causing acute kidney failure, flooding their lungs with water. They were dying from pulmonary edema. Then they were being pronounced dead, dying from the results of this new novel COVID pneumonia. And this set the stage for Dr. Anthony Fauci and the NIH to declare in May of, night of, in May of 2020 that this one and only drug, remdesivir, is the only authorized drug to be used as an antiviral drug for all hospitalized COVID-19 Americans. If remdesivir was killing people and doctors knew that, where were they? Why were they silent? Yeah, that's what I'd like to know. Where were they? Where are they now? I've heard from many, many doctors since I came out in May of 2020 saying uh, this remdesivir drug that Dr. Anthony Fauci has declared on the NIH's website is safe and effective against the Ebola virus in this year-long trial in 2019. And then they declared also, he did in the same memo, it was found safe and effective against COVID-19 from January to March of 2020. In a study done by Gilead himself, which is the company that owns the patent and manufactures remdesivir, it wasn't found safe and effective in either one of those trials. It was found in the Ebola trial to be the most deadly toxic drug in that trial. Oh, and Miraculously, it was actually funded by Dr. Anthony Fauci's department at the NIAID department, that entire Africa Ebola trial. In August of 2019, Stu, the Independent Safety Board notified the funders of the study and the sponsors of the study, which is Anthony Fauci's department, 
that this one drug, remdesivir, killed 53% of everybody they gave the drug to in the Ebola trial. And therefore, it is now being suspended from that trial and no one can get that drug. It was the only drug of the four drugs in that trial that had a higher than 50% death rate. So he knew that in August of 2019, but in May of 2020, Anthony Fauci declares in his memo on the NIH's website and sent out to all hospitals, it was proven safe and effective in the Ebola trial. Only to then declare in the same memo, it was found also safe and effective in this small three-month trial with 53 COVID-19 patients. So I read that study too in May of 2020. It was not found to be safe and effective. Gilead gave remdesivir for 10 days to 53 people with COVID-19 from around the world. And the company that makes the drug said what they found was 31% of everybody they gave the drug to for 10 days developed these serious adverse events. Now, for those at home that don't know what that means in a research study, they have what are called adverse events and serious adverse events. The difference is serious adverse events that are abbreviated SAE, that means life-threatening symptoms. These were the four things that 30% of everybody experienced on that drug in those 10 days. Multiple organ failure, acute kidney failure, septic shock, and hypotension. And then 10% of the people in that trial had to come off the drug before day 10 because remdesivir killed their kidneys and they reported they needed a acute kidney transplant surgery. The doctors think that this was COVID-19? Yes. The, all the ones that were reporting in the media that I was watching interviews on CNN, Fox in May of 2020, they all said the same thing in every interview. When journalists were asking, how come all these people are dying in the hospitals in New York from this novel coronavirus? Every single doctor said the same thing. Every single hospital administrator being interviewed on the media said the same thing. We have never, ever seen a respiratory virus inside the lungs of a patient. When we start treating this one, we've never seen a virus do this. It goes immediately from the lungs and starts attacking the kidneys and causes acute kidney failure in the majority of patients that we are treating. And I was watching these interviews and I was like, oh my God, that's not what viruses do. These doctors are being honest. They know that respiratory viruses don't go from the lungs and attack the kidneys and shut down their kidneys, but that's what these people are reporting. The whole reason why I actually went to look for the hospital protocol online when I watched these media interviews in May of 2020 was that is true. Viruses don't do that. But do you know what does do that? Drugs do. And three months prior, in May of 2020, my own father-in-law was given a drug that caused acute kidney failure in less than 24 hours for what they called the flu which is another virus. So having witnessed this three months earlier, I wanted to know, are they giving these people the same drug they gave my father-in-law? This is why I went to the CDC's website, and then I went to the NIH's website, when the CDC directed people to the NIH website to find the hospital protocol for COVID. That's when I uncovered that this drug remdesivir was the drug, and Stu, what was odd, is not a single medical doctor that you know in the entire world of this anti-COVID movement we've been a part of, not a single person that's tr that were treating people with remdesivir in hospitals at the time in New York, and not a single medical doctor in the world knew that remdesivir was the drug being used. They were just following a protocol they were told to use. They didn't know anything about the drug. I hired a publicist and went into the media to tell you all, they're going to kill people in ICUs. This is gonna be another genocide, and they're gonna kill the elderly in the hospitals. And oh my God, since then, Stu, and to this day, right now, where you and I are sitting here, this is three years later, by the way. Do you know that the CMS.gov still has what's called 
NCTAP, 20% add-on bonus if you just will give Remdesivir. This is the Centers for Medicaid and Medicaid Services. Still on their website right now, even though the emergency of COVID was taken away in May of this year, we're still months past that. Do you know that right now it's still in place? It is still in place that if any hospital will give a 60-year-old or older American Remdesivir in the hospital, they will actually get a 20% add-on bonus. This has been going on for three years now. On the entire hospital bill. Poison them with Remdesivir for 10 days. We'll give you a 20% add-on bonus for the entire hospital bill. Not just for Remdesivir, the entire hospital bill. That is still sitting there right now. I just checked it right when I walked in here for this interview. I've seen the breakdown uh, in my home state of Minnesota. It's over $300,000 is what the compensation is, it is to that hospital system if they have certain criteria that they meet. The, the admission of the patient, the COVID diagnosis through a failed fraudulent PCR test, the admission into the hospital, uh, the administration of certain sedatives, the administration of remdesivir, uh, the use of a ventilator, and then the pronunciation of death of COVID-19. Exactly right. All those things are present over $300,000. Look around at what's going on right now. Banks are collapsing all over the place. And then they're getting bailed out. And who's paying for that? You are. They say taxpayers won't pay. They say that other banks will pay. Well, how do those banks get that money? They'll probably raise your bank fees like they always do. And if the Fed steps in, you'll likely also be paying an inflation tax. In times like this, storing all of your money in a bank may be very risky, as we have seen. So what can two average Joes like you and I even do about it? Protect your wealth with gold and silver, just like so many other Americans and banks are doing right now. Call 855-706-GOLD to learn how to protect your savings with gold and silver. Call Gold Co. today, 855-706-GOLD. For the first time in a millennia, a famine of biblical proportion is hitting the earth, and it's by design. War has created scarcity. Fertilizer production has been wiped out. The price of fertilizer is up 128%. Food processing plants are exploding. Herds of cows are being massacred and buried. This is a very abnormal event. The Great Reset demons have created the crisis, but a generation of great resistors following King Jesus have the solution. Heavensharvest.com, get there right now. Prepare for the worst by trusting the best. Heavensharvest.com has a delicious plan to conquer starvation. It's real food, high quality, tastes great. Trust Heaven's Harvest today. Order food for the year and a bucket of heirloom seeds. Affordable, available, ready for the fight ahead. Heavensharvest.com. I really wish I didn't have to bring you this disgusting news, especially if you're a man over 45. Do you feel the sudden and urgent need to urinate several times during the day or night? Does it take you even 30 seconds before any piss comes out? According to a shocking discovery from scientists at Harvard and Stanford, there's a high chance that you're dealing with something they call a moldy prostate. Yeah, a moldy prostate. This means that your prostate is being coated in a special type of mold, completely different mold than what you see on your food, but extremely threatening nonetheless. Left untreated, it damages your prostate until it becomes nearly impossible to enjoy a steady stream when you go to the bathroom. Moreover, your ability to get an erection is severely affected. Flowforce Max is a completely natural, 100% effective way to destroy that fungus that's colonizing your urinary tract right now. It allows you to enjoy a powerful and steady flow every time you go to the bathroom, 
and it helps you get a more powerful, stronger, longer-lasting erection. This prostate-shrinking candy has already been tried by more than 35,000 men aged 45 to 75 with amazing results. It's time to put an end to all of your prostate problems. Go to flowforcemax.com slash stew. Again, that's flowforcemax.com slash stew. Yeah, bribing hospitals. I've been nonstop relentless going around the country, going into Capitol buildings, telling them there's something wrong. Our government insurance company for the elderly and the, and the disabled or the poor, Medicare, Medicaid, they are incentivizing hospitals with a bonus to use the only drug that the FDA and the NIH say you're allowed to use anyway. Does this make sense to you, Stu? Well, that you only have one drug you can use. Why would our government bribe the hospital to use it? Well, this reminds me of the emergency use authorization for you know the, the COVID-19 vaccine from Pfizer and Moderna and Johnson & Johnson. I think we had AstraZeneca, all these companies right away. This was, this was an emergency use authorization, but that can only be used if there's no other available viable treatment. If doctors like Zelenko were using ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine or high doses of vitamin D and vitamin C and, and, and he was saving people, if there was another treatment available, how did they pull off the emergency use authorization and was remdesivir also an emergency use authorized drug? Yes. In fact, in May of 2020, when Anthony Fauci came out and declared, this is the one and only drug we can use in hospitals for Americans. Stu, he told the federal government, you cannot allow the United States to export remdesivir until the end of 2020. So only Americans were going to be pumping COVID-19 positive patients with remdesivir. Is that messed up? Why do you think America still today is the only country? Do you know what only country in the entire world has over a million deaths written caused by COVID-19? It's only the United States. No other country even has a million. How is it possible the United States healthcare system sucked the most at keeping its citizens alive? Isn't that amazing? In China is where this Wuhan virus comes, okay? In the fall of 2019, you've got all these Wuhan patients who were sick with this novel new pneumonia. In January of 2020, the Chinese government funded studies and they sent scientists and doctors into every hospital room to treat these sick people. And you know what they did with them? In January 2020, they published their findings that if they just administered high-dose vitamin C, 100% of all their citizens went home by day five, completely cured. Those studies are still available. They published it. You know, it's sickening. Vitamin C would have cured everybody in the United States, just like it did in China. And you know what China did? Amazing. Communist China took, they're the country that creates and manufactures the most vitamin C in the entire world for all supplement companies. In IV bag doses, they actually gave all their citizens vitamin C for free to combat the pandemic. Do you know that right now in the United States of America, three years later, the United States has the most deaths worldwide from COVID-19. Uh, they were poisoned by remdesivir, by the way. That's how they killed them. It wasn't COVID. So they were drugged to death, killed to death in hospitals, then lied and bribed coroners with an incentive to write down COVID-19 was the cause of death in America. 1.7 million deaths in America. Do you know how many people today have actually been listed and actually written died from COVID-19 pneumonia in China that has a 1.4 to 1.7 billion people in it? 5,000. How is it possible they only had 5,000 people die and we had 1.7 million? How can they say that anybody died with COVID-19 if we've never been able to identify a virus in any patient on any surface in the air? It's we should talk about isolated. that actually. It has never been isolated. We should talk about that. We have a variant. 
how do you have a variant of something that never existed in the first place? Does this virus really actually exist? No. In fact, Stu, if you go on the NIH's website right now, they told the whole world you need to get this vaccine to protect you from what? SARS-CoV-2 virus. This will protect you from the exposure to the next variant. If you get these COVID-19 mRNA injections, the Johnson & Johnson, AstraZeneca, Novavax, if you just get these shots, it'll prevent you from getting COVID. COVID is not a thing. You can't look under a microscope and see COVID in your bloodstream. What that is, COVID-19 is a collection of symptoms they say comes from the SARS-CoV-2 virus. So they're telling you, you need to get these shots to prevent you from getting the SARS-CoV-2 virus or any of its future variants. It will reduce your chances of getting the virus. It will reduce your worsening symptoms. If COVID, you're diagnosed with that in the future, it will reduce your likelihood of worse outcomes to end up in a hospital and lower your risk of death. That's what they tell you. You know what's amazing? Go on the NIH's website right now. Right now, today, everybody go there. There's an actual pamphlet on NIH.gov titled, What's in the COVID-19 Vaccines? And do you know what it says on the document? We did not put SARS-CoV-2 virus in any of our mRNA vaccines. Therefore, we can say to you, you will not get COVID-19 from our shots. So the next question is this, what did you vaccinate us with? Now this should fit your narrative you just said. If we've never isolated the virus, what are they vaccinating us for? And if they're not putting it in the vaccine, what are they trying to protect us against? Well, go to the pamphlet on the NIH.gov's website right now. It reads, Understanding the mRNA COVID-19 Vaccine Manufacturing. And in it, it says, We selected the spike protein gene as our vaccine candidate. And then it says this, We synthetically manufactured the spike protein gene and inserted it into a circular piece of DNA called plasmids. And that's what we put into the COVID-19 mRNA vaccines. Now this is important because even you don't know this. Do you know what DNA plasmids are? These have been around for 72 years. And do you know that in the year 2003, I have been showing the whole world this, that in 2003 they took DNA plasmids that the NIH is telling you they put in these shots and they infused the DNA plasmids with something called cobra toxin, the spike protein of gene of COVID that the French researchers, who were geneticists, said in April of 2020, the spike protein, we took its DNA sequence and we found it was identical to two things. These are DNA experts, by the way. Cobra toxin from the king cobra and crate snake venom called bungarotoxin. In 2003, they took DNA plasmids that the NIH says is in the COVID-19 mRNA shots. 2003, they took alpha cobra toxin, which was found by French researchers to be the spike protein of COVID. They took that cobra toxin and injected them into mice and the mice's mammal cells in a mammal within six hours took those plasmids into their cells. It got into the DNA of the animal cells and then the animal cells started producing and releasing king cobra venom in the animal and 100% of them died within six hours. 80% died within six minutes. This was the safe and effective vaccine. This is a safe and effective vaccine. How does, how does that, how is that similar? I mean, let's talk about what happened to millions of Americans on a, on a, on a daily basis. Their loved one, <clears throat> their loved one presents with a certain set of symptoms. They don't have a virus. No virus has been detected. 
They've been told if you have this with this and this with that, that you have COVID-19. So quickly, what was the PCR test? The PCR is nothing more than a test to identify genetic material. Okay. Why is tap water testing positive for COVID-19? Because there's genetic material in the water. The genetic material PCR test 100% of the time for the last 30 years I can find are being used in every single research study to confirm DNA of snake venom and any other venom in the entire world. They always use PCR tests. They don't identify viral particles. So here's the they scenario. They identify genes. The scenario genes. always looked the same. Always. You have a cough, you're having um, a hard time breathing, you lost your taste and smell, you have a headache, you're running a fever. Uh, these people have been programmed by the media that now you need to get to the hospital. Same thing happens when you go to the hospital. No, go home until you can't breathe anymore. Yeah. They're sent home, they're not treated. If they get a positive test, they're not sent home with medication, they're not told to do anything, they just get out of here, don't come back until you're dying. When they come back, same thing, separated from their family, rushed into the ICU, sedated using... Remdesivir? No, sedated using... Oh, midazolam, fentanyl, uh, lorazepam, Presidex. Those are the drugs they use to sedate these individuals. Is that normal? No. Has that ever been done before? Uh, yes, it's un under the guise of what's called palliative care, which is the last steps to kill somebody oh, in a hospital. Oh, so you're talking about hospice. Yes. Keep this person comfortable until we kill them. That's the lie. They're euthanizing your loved one right in front of you, just like they did my father-in-law in February of 2020. They lie to every single one of you, and they say, we're going to make his transition more comfortable by reducing his pain by giving him midazolam, morphine, fentanyl, Presidex, and lorazepam. These drugs, all of them are opiate dr drugs, and when they're injected inside of you, they go to your brainstem and paralyze your diaphragm's ability to breathe and your heart's ability to beat. And they will take their last breath in front of you as they wait, overdose you. Wait, so you said that it paralyzes your diaphragm. Yes, that's, that's what That it renders does. you unable to breathe. Yes, that's wait, what they do. so when the doctors were saying, we can't figure this out, these patients can't breathe. They never recover, despite the fact that we put them on a ventilator after giving them remdesivir. Exactly right. Listen, they put you on remdesivir on day one. When they put them on remdesivir, it shuts down their kidneys and they give you an IV drip of water, right? They give you fluids. Now your kidneys can't release the water. Where's the water gonna go? It retains in your abdomen. Then it goes up into your lungs, floods your lungs with water. When you listen with a stethoscope, it's gonna sound like pneumonia, but it isn't. You're drowning this individual to death and filling the lungs with water. Then the water overflows into your heart. Then the water gets up into their brain. They go unconscious. They put you on a vent. But the whole protocol was this. We're gonna do this really quickly. Put them on remdesivir and vent them right away. And then by day seven, eight, and nine, put them on midazolam, morphine, fentanyl, lorazepam, and all the sedatives. This was the protocol that was sent down to what we call an epic machine, which is where doctors and healthcare providers go. They enter the symptoms that the patient is presenting with, and this AI forces out or spits out or regurgitates what you do for treatment. Exactly right. That was the only treatment. Yep. Remdesivir was the only treatment. That's the only treatment. They have expanded that now to like five other drugs that are just as toxic or even deadlier. Have you heard of Illumiant? That has five black box warnings of how it can kill you. Very first one is, don't give it to anybody with a serious viral infection, it will kill them. But these people so don't have a viral happens. infection. <laughs> that's what they say. They're diagnosing you with a viral infection they're calling COVID. But they, the actual black box warning is, don't give this to anybody with a serious viral infection, it will make their outcomes worse. Oh really, great. Every doctor and there's that, a 20% add-on bonus for that one too, by the way. Every doctor that witnessed this, every doctor that, that administered this remdesivir, 
to these patients and had the same outcome with all of them. Uh, we saw, what is his name, Rod Brooks? <clears throat> Rodney. Rodney. Vera's Rodney. Husband. It's Rodney Brooks and, and Vera. Yeah. yeah. We saw Rodney Brooks. We saw what happened to his extremities because of his hero wife, Vera, who was willing to broadcast that. We, the fingers were dead, black. The toes were black. He was jaundiced. He was yellow. His eyes were gone. Uh, this was an able-bodied, fit person uh, previous to that. Did remdesivir do that to him? Yes, it did. Did, that, did. did remdesivir do that to all these millions of people? Yes, it did. Rodney, I actually met with, with Vera and Rodney in a hotel in Dallas, Texas, after he was showcased on y'all's show and interviewed while he was in the hospital. I took my 11-year-old son with me to go see him in the hospital. Or, sorry, not in the hospital. I took my 11-year-old son to go see him in the hotel in Dallas. And yes, all of his fingers were turned black, his toes were black, his entire body was yellow, eyes were yellow. It was horrific what happened. It, it only started his demise when they put him on remdesivir in the hospital. Remdesivir has a published side effect of increasing what's called prothrombin time. Prothrombin time means that it actually elongates how long it takes for your blood to actually clot. However, that isn't what happened to Rodney. Rodney's was actually shortened. Shortened to the fact that blood clots started forming in his fingers and toes by day one, and that's why they started to die. They couldn't get oxygen to his tissues. So a hypothermia patient, right, will see their fingers and their toes die. That's what happened to him. They were solid black and like charred. It was awful to look at this guy that they did this to him. It was awful. They caused liver failure. Look at it right now. The published side effect of remdesivir is acute kidney failure, acute, meaning right now, and acute liver failure. And that's what they did to him. They poisoned him with this drug that has these horrific side effects to cause multiple organ failure. That's what was published before Anthony Fauci said this is the only drug we can use. How many millions of people are watching this going, oh my God, this is exactly what happened to my nephew, to my aunt, to my uncle, to my grandpa. If they died in a hospital, this is what happened to your loved one. There is no other way around it. They diagnosed it as pneumonia. It was never pneumonia. It's called pulmonary edema. Demand the damn x-rays. You will see water filling up in their lungs one day after another. That does not look like pneumonia. Pneumonia looks like cauliflower inside your lungs on an x-ray. You're seeing water levels going up in their lungs. They are drowning your loved one to death. Do the doctors know this now? Okay. This is really quite disgusting. Thank you for asking me, do they know this? A medical doctor standing in the room treating my 90-year-old father-in-law looked at an x-ray and went like this, there's pneumonia. Look at it, there's pneumonia. And I went like this, that is not pneumonia. That's pulmonary edema. There's a white line in the bottom of his lungs. I said pneumonia looks like cauliflower. Just so you know. Do you know who does know how to read an x-ray in the medical profession? Radiologists do. It's really sad that so many medical doctors don't know and didn't get enough training in med school to even simply read an x-ray. But y'all should probably go back to school if you don't know what pneumonia looks like and what pulmonary edema looks like, because the chiropractor can tell you. I can tell you what it looks like. Do the radiologists can tell you? Killing people with remdesivir. Do they know now? Oh my God! If they don't know, Stu, it's disgusting, man. To me, it's like all those war criminals in Nazi Germany underneath Hitler out there killing people. You didn't figure this out that every single person is dying with the same damn protocol, and you aren't changing for one individual to the next. What it is you're going to attempt to do to save their life? You're not going to practice medicine anymore. You're just going to follow a damn protocol. Even Peter McCullough was screaming like a year and a half ago, this never happened before COVID. No doctors ever followed protocols. They just treated their patients. They hated administrators telling them what to do. 
I had to correct them. And I said, what, are you calling me a liar? They did it to my father-in-law in front of me before COVID. There was no COVID in Texas when my father-in-law in February 2020 went into the hospital. I said, so don't tell me that. They were doing that beforehand. Anyway, it's quite disgusting. You either took a note to do no harm or you're all psychopaths, in my opinion. This is incredible. Ask me how I really feel, mother effers. Okay, go ahead. Oh, love it. So we need to switch to um, the pitch to the lawyers. Sure. So they're going to be. So we're going to talk about what accountability, extreme accountability, what you think it looks like, but what you're doing, what you guys are doing. Sure. Uh, to, to kind of. Um, All right, I got building, it. I know. Building legal and going after them for being murderers. All right, here we go. Oh, wait, can you ask me one thing real quick before yeah. he does that? Can you ask me, is there something people need to know about remdesivir right now in hospitals? Perfect, yeah. Like doctors or patients? What, what patients need to know? Uh, Y'all don't know this. Just, just ask me, and then I'll, let me just, yeah, for a second. Okay. All right. So if remdesivir is still there and they're still using it, despite the fact the pandemic is over, but here comes the new variant, no doubt remdesivir is still there and being used. So what should people know about it? Thank you for asking me. This is very important. Hospital pharmacists and medical doctors around the country and around the world are calling me for the last six months saying, you have got to make sure the audiences know something. What is it? Do you know that hospital administrators around the entire United States are having these clandestine meetings, pulling in doctors and their pharmacists and their nurses, and they're telling them to stop calling the drug remdesivir by name to the patients in the hospital rooms? When they ask you, what are you going to treat me with for COVID? Don't say remdesivir anymore. Call it Veclery. So everybody keeps calling me going, make sure the world knows that Veclery is the same thing as remdesivir. Please, for the love of God, don't forget this. We did a phenomenal job with your help two years ago, making sure people understood and could remember the name remdesivir because it was hard for people to say. And we came up with this little saying, it rhymes with run death is near. So if you hear something that sounds like that, say no. So many people have been saying, no, I don't want that drug. We got the word out, thank God, even through censorship. But now they're using the brand name Veclery. And for anybody out there who wonders, how am I going to remember Veclery? If you transpose the K and the L in that name, it's Valkyrie, which happens to be a Nordic term, which in history means chooser of the slain. So anything that rhymes with Valkyrie, anything that rhymes with run death is near, just say no. It is the same damn drug, just so you know. These doctors know they have to know. There's, there's no way that millions of doctors there's no way. in this country don't know what they're doing. There's no way that Tony Fauci didn't know what he was doing. Tony Fauci, I believe, is a fall guy. I, I, Tony Fauci didn't run this entire pandemic. Tony Fauci is the face. Uh, Tony Fauci should be indicted and tried and fried. Uh, so should the puppeteers that are pulling his puppet strings. These doctors that are still giving it, we're talking about extreme accountability. We're talking about forthwith extreme accountability. We're talking about thorough but very speedy trials. And when these people are found guilty, the only option is the death penalty. Maybe they should be injected with remdesivir. Amen. Let's have that coursing through their veins for a while so they can watch themselves die. Maybe that'd be great after a cage match. Amen. But you're doing accountability now in a different way with a group of attorneys that we're about to hear from. Tell us about this. 
Yeah, this is important, Stu. I'm just one guy. Yeah. You're just one guy. But people around the world were calling me going, what do I do to hold these hospitals accountable? We gave them the forms that said no consent to remdesivir when we got there. We told them orally no remdesivir is to be given to my loved one. They ignored it. And they totally ignored it. And then these individuals were still pumped full of remdesivir in an ICU. Families weren't allowed to go back there. And the individuals died. So in September of last year, 2022, I held a press conference and we brought two attorneys and assigned them to 16 different families who had lost a loved one in a hospital in Fresno, California, three different hospital systems, and we filed lawsuits against those hospitals. And I got these two attorneys, Michael Hamilton and Dan Watkins. Dan Watkins has been a long-term medical malpractice attorney out of California. I said, you've got to help these families. I am not an attorney. I do not work the courts, but somebody needs to hold these people responsible and these family members need justice. So September of last year, I introduced Michael Hamilton and Dan Watkins to these families. And then we filed lawsuits against these three Fresno-based hospitals in California. And since then, we're now representing families who live in northern states like Michigan against hospital systems there and filing lawsuits there with Michael Hamilton and Dan Watkins' help. And then they're also filing on behalf of families who lost loved ones in Texas. So we are doing our best to try to find restitution for the injustice in these hospitals. But these two individuals have done a great job of being there for these families, taking on these hospitals, and we're just praying any court now will actually allow discovery to happen so we can actually get all the medical directors from the hospitals and start holding these, these actual institutions responsible. They're denying people even access to the medical records of their loved ones because they don't want their crime to be exposed. That means that they're doing this with a forethought and with intent that this was premeditated murder for money. So when I said that they were killing for cash two years ago, really early on, that wasn't being hyperbolic. I wasn't overstating that. They knew what they were doing. They were killing people, and they're going to do it again. Why would they stop if they have a successful formula? Uh, this formula has worked extremely well. Since Nuremberg. Since Nuremberg. And people ask me all the time, we need a Nuremberg 2.0. Do you think the first one was successful, Stu? No. The first one was a huge letdown. We brought those psychopaths here. They should have all been hung. They should have all been killed. Take out these people who are finding ways to kill us and poison us. The Washington Trials 1.0. Yeah, let's do the Washington Trials 1.0. I'd love to sit in the jury box. Our own Edward Zoll and Lauren Witzke sat down with these two uh, attorneys. And uh, they, had, they had some very incredible things to say. If you've been waiting for a screaming deal on one of my favorite pieces of gun gear, you need to check out this holiday special from Vanish Holsters. They're doing this awesome deal. You buy one of their ultra-comfortable holsters at a discount and then get a second for 50% off the already low discounted price. It's perfect if you want to own and use the world's most comfortable holster and give one to a friend or a family member. I promise you're going to love this holster more than any other holster that you own. And the reason why is because you can use it to carry most any gun that you own in absolute comfort. It's so comfortable you'll forget you're wearing it which is why it's called the Vanish Holster. This revolutionary holster fits 99% of all semi-auto handguns. It works without a tactical belt, it lets you carry in multiple positions, and it lets you conceal two fully loaded magazines. Best of all, it comes with a money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, you get all of your money back with a hassle-free return policy. Now, since it's a holiday deal, it's set to expire soon. And let's be real, you know what's going on in our unserious country. You know that criminals are more emboldened than ever. The threat of terrorism is looming large. Don't make the mistake of not being armed just because your old holster is uncomfortable. 
Go to vnsh.com slash stew right now so that you have a holster that makes it a pleasure to carry all day, every day. Any weapon. All day, every day. vnsh.com slash stew. Filtersuck.com is the leading manufacturer in filterless air purification systems, whether you're dealing with pollen or mold or dust, shedding from your pet, or vaccinated neighbors mRNA spike protein shedding. Filtersuck.com has solutions for every scenario, at home, at work, or on the go. Breathe with confidence, don't let your air suck. Rest well knowing that your home is protected 24-7, so now you can get a unit for your home or a portable unit for on-the-go travel. That's filtersuck.com. Use promo code STU for 10% off when you go to filtersuck.com. I've been telling you the importance of getting six cups of fruits and vegetables every day and how I do it with Field of Greens. Love it. Tastes great. Kids love it. You put it in their water, it tastes like an energy drink. And now it's finally here. The fieldofgreens.com Black Friday sale is on, and it's incredible. Right now, you can get up to 30% off when you use the promo code VIP. Guys, I love Field of Greens. So many of you guys have been seeing incredible results. More energy throughout the day. Skin looks healthier. Helps with digestion. My stomach feels better. Hair and nails grew faster, looked healthier, then just feeling better and healthier overall. I promise this will be one of the best things that you add to your life for better health. Don't miss this massive sale. Get up to 30% off your order. 30% off. Visit fieldofgreens.com. Enter promo code VIP. That's fieldofgreens.com and enter VIP at checkout. Fieldofgreens.com. So God led you to become an attorney. It was not your idea. It was not something that you had uh, just made up uh, in your head, like, I'm going to be an attorney. No, it was something God called you to do. Uh, you were taking clients again, uh, and COVID happened. Now, let's go into COVID. I know that there was a battle. It absolutely was a spiritual battle between good and evil. We saw many people sell out. A lot of people just go and hold the line um, as far as maintaining the rules, not stirring any trouble, not putting their licenses at risk. A lot of people sold out uh, due to fear during COVID. Now, early on in COVID, what were your initial thoughts? So, you know, in the very beginning, I saw, I watched television and they said, these kids are going to come back from Florida on spring break and they're going to spread COVID like wildfire and we're all going to die. And I was a little bit alarmed. I don't watch TV very much. In fact, now I don't even own a TV, but then I didn't watch it very much. And so I spent a few minutes, a few days maybe being alarmed, and then they started the masking. Now, you don't have to have a whole lot of common sense to understand that people in hazmat suits telling you to wear a handkerchief over your face as full protection against a disease, that's nonsense, right? I mean, it's, it's just clearly nonsense. It was about submission. It was about submission and control. Mm -hmm. And immediately I saw a Marxist tyranny starting to spread its tentacles. And I already know that the tentacles have been spreading for a long time in the education system, in all these different parts of our lives. The, the Marxist, communist, I mean, a rose by any other name is still a rose, so call them whatever you like. But they represent, um, a, 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 they represent a system of government that in every country it's ever been tried, it results in people being murdered. Because how do you get people to agree with the kind of garbage they promote and, and put them all on the same page? You control their thoughts and you kill the ones who can't be controlled. They always end in widespread purges. As even Bernie Sanders called them, Bernie Sanders, gentle Bernie, you know. But he said, uh, 
I think it was the guy that does the Truth TV, caught one of his workers saying, oh, there's going to be purges, but we're not allowed to talk about that. Because Bernie doesn't think the American people are ready for the purges. <laughs> well, nobody's ever ready for purges. But I saw a Marxist tyranny happening. I saw that they were trying to isolate people with the shutdowns. And what stood out to me was the places they were shutting down are the places where people talk about ideas. Churches, schools, gyms, bars. They were shutting these places down and that's where people go to converse about what's real and what's not real, what's true and what's not true. And they were shutting those places down. They kept the big box stores open, right? But they said, you gotta wear a mask. So here I am walking through Kroger, I'm not gonna wear a mask, that's nonsense. And it's about control and it's about isolating people in public. Because if you can isolate people and lie to them and promote enough fear, then you can begin to control them. So I'm walking through Kroger and people are saying, hi Mike. I'm like, I think they said, hi Mike, but I can't tell who they are. I mean, we were all totally isolated in public. I remember going into Lowe's and this guy wasn't wearing a mask and I went up behind him and I said, sir, I think you're contagious. And he turns around and I said, Looks like you've been infected with common sense. I hope everybody catches it. He started laughing. But I mean, it was, it was ridiculous. And when I saw that happening, I started asking myself, like, why is nobody fighting back against this? And then somewhere in there, after I was asking that and scratching my head, God started poking me and he said, you remember that call I put on your life to go to law school a while back? Yeah, somebody needs to do this. And I didn't know, I didn't know what to do, because no, nothing like this had ever happened. But I felt a little bit like Jeremiah when he said, God called him and he said, I'm afraid, I'm just a child, I don't know what to say. And God said, it's simple, don't be afraid. Go wherever I tell you to go and say whatever I tell you to say. And don't be terrified. And then he adds, or I will terrify you before them. I don't want that. <laughs> so just like Isaiah and Jeremiah, I said, all right, here I am. Send me. Show me where to step. Tell me what to do. And I, I recognize this as the reason that almost 20 years before he had said, hey, seminary boy, I want you to go to law school. You know, I'd scratched my head a few times during the years saying, is, is this what you had for me, and I got kind of silence as a response. But when the masks went on, the, that silence was over. So I stepped into the fight. I met this guy named Tom Renz, okay. and Tom and I started making mischief together. We sued my governor, my health department. We said there's no such thing as an eternal shutdown that lasts a year or a year and a half, an eternal emergency. The shutdown was because of the emergency, but he kept saying, there's an ongoing emergency. I'm like, emergencies don't, they're not ongoing. It's a tornado, it's a hurricane. They start, they do damage, and then they're over. If it's a new normal, as we were being told, it's no longer an emergency, if it ever was, and I don't believe it ever was. So, I, so then we ended up, we tried to stop the vaccine mandates rolling out to the children. Um, and through a connection with America's frontline doctors, I ended up um, being involved in a class action lawsuit against uh, the vaccine mandates on behalf of all the military. We filed 
um, a suit against Biden and Fauci and the NIH and the CDC and all the bad alphabets, all the evil people. And we attempted to get preliminary injunctions like other people did around the country to stop the rollouts, but we weren't successful the way we'd hoped to be in, in those lawsuits. And now the vaccines have been rolled out to children and, and we can talk more about that. But I, I was in this fight and I saw that the fear and the isolation were there for the purpose of promoting these vaccines. It all led up to and, the vaccines. You know, somewhere in there I started paying attention to this crazy doctor guy named Brian Artis. <laughs> I started paying close attention and he wasn't crazy at all. And I, and I started following some of that and I started learning more about the vaccines. And, and, and that was a concern to me. So I'm, I'm wanting to give you the Reader's Digest version here. Um, and I think that at some point, and if I've overlooked something, I'll go back. But I ended up um, with um, one of our team members, Kelly, who's an amazing team member with us now. We ended up in Ohio, and we were sitting at a table with Brian Artis and Jane. And he was giving a presentation in this small little space, with a bunch of ardent Christian patriots who were very interested in hearing what he had to say. And we were sitting at this table and he said, he said, um, we need attorneys with cojones that are not afraid. And I will tell you this about myself. So I wrote a note to his wife, Jane. And I, I think the note said, tell Brian that I have cojones. God put inside of me a, a big hatred for injustice, but he forgot to put in fear of bullies. And so she gave that to him, and that I think everybody chuckled about it. And then we went on in, in, our, in my battle against medical tyranny in general, which medical tyranny stands for tyranny. I mean, the CDC said they were going to do it, and the governor in New Mexico just tried to do it declare a public health emergency and use lockdown type measures to deprive the American people of their firearms. We're in the throes of a, of a complete tyranny, but medicine is where they're trying to force it home. Yep. And so Brian Artis ended up in California and he connected with a group of people who were looking for an attorney to fight for loved ones who had been murdered by remdesivir protocols in hospitals. Now, remdesivir protocols were already on my radar in Kentucky. I had helped rescue some people that were being murdered in a hospital, and we got them out. One of them died in the, wife, in the arms of his wife of 50-plus years because he was too far gone from the things they had done to him with the drugs and the remdesivir, and we'll talk more about that. I spent 17 hours one day fighting for the life of a nurse who had gone in because she had bronchial pneumonia. Now, she worked as a pediatric nurse in that hospital for 26 years. She went in one day and she said, I have bronchial pneumonia. I need antibiotics and fluids. I get this at least every other year, sometimes every year. It's an old routine for me. And they said, 
okay, we need to test and see if you have COVID pneumonia. She said, do not give me remdesivir. So they said, okay, dear, let's just get some fluids in you. So they put her in a room, they took her phone away, and they put a drip bag of remdesivir on her. No fluids, remdesivir. Nine hours later, when no nurse was allowed to go in the room, and she had been calling for help for nine hours with the little push button thing they give you, they came in and they said, wow, you really appear dehydrated. And she goes, I've been begging for fluids all night. They said, well, let's get some fluids in you right away. And they gave her round two of remdesivir and they locked her up for another nine hours. I came in on day three. I was her attorney. I was her power of attorney. She was 100% lucid. And I started asking, what medicine do you have her on? And they said, oh, we don't do that anymore. What, what will happen is when she's discharged, we'll give her a written list and she'll be able to know everything that we gave her. And I said, no, this is not the way it works. She's a freeborn American citizen. She has the right to participate in her own health care. And she wants to know what medicine she's on. So I'm demanding that you tell me. Well, they stonewalled me. And I was polite but firm. And I didn't think they were giving her remdesivir at the moment. So I put up with the stonewalling for 17 hours. The doctor was going to come. Then another doctor was going to come. He'd be here in two hours. Well, he's in surgery. He'll be here in four hours. And in the meantime, in the process, we put power of attorney, the fact that I was her attorney, we put those things in her record. I had written a letter to the hospital administrator, explained to him the history of remdesivir and why it was a horrific thing to do to somebody. I told him I was going to go after the medical license of everybody in the hospital if he didn't take her off of it. So at the end of 17 hours, I called his office number. I said, I'm down here, and I don't remember the room number, but it was like on the third floor, so I'll say 350. I'm down here in room 350. And I said, you have a big problem down here, and if you try to call me back, it's, your legal problems are only going to get worse. You need to come down here in person and see to this lady's needs and give me the medicine that she's being forced to take against her will. About three minutes later, I was surrounded by security guards. And this head nurse gave a talk. This guy's been disrupting us all day, making a scene. We can't get any work done. We can't take care of our patients. She went on like this, and she goes, I need you to escort him out of the hospital. I had my phone in my left hand, and I said, gentlemen, this dear lady here has just said nothing that is true. All day long, I've been talking just like this. And my terrible crime is I've demanded to know what medicine are they giving my client, their own nurse. I've asked the question. They've stonewalled me for the last 17 hours. I've been polite. I've sat quietly. They say that I was going in and out of this COVID ward without protective equipment. They've been doing the same all day. I got the film of it all right here. And I said, we're not going to have a wrestling match. And while I was saying this, I dialed 911. And I said, but we're not, this was in Louisville, Kentucky. I said, we're not, I'm not leaving here until Louisville's finest is on the scene. So I get on the call and I said, we have a big problem. We have an attempted murder going on in room 350 at this particular hospital. And I need you to send some squad cars down here with the sirens on. Well, they came and they didn't want to get involved. They 
They were nervous. They said, we can't second guess doctors. I said, well, why don't you take your patrolman and go up in that room and ask the patient if she wants to be there. If she says she wants to leave, they're wrongfully imprisoning her. Now you've got a crime to deal with. Ask them if she wants the drugs they're giving her. If she says no, she has a constitutional right that's been protected by the Supreme Court that says she gets to say no, even to life-saving treatment. She gets to say no, so go ask her. They finally did. Four, four patrolmen, their sergeant, because they didn't know what to do, so they called him out. They managed to get the doctor, the head nurse, and the treating nurse in there, and they agreed to stop remdesivir. But they started it again, and they killed her within three days. So I had this experience, and, I, and, and, the, and the experience that I had was that every time I got involved in a situation, I saw the same treatment protocol, and I'll describe that shortly, but I saw the same treatment protocol. I saw the same word tracks the doctors were using. They, in this case, they told her, if you leave without medical advice, your insurance won't kick in, and you'll go bankrupt. You'll bankrupt your family. Do you want that for them? And, and they were using these word tracks in all these different hospitals around my state. So when I heard the story that these folks in California told, that Brian connected me with, because they said to Brian, we're, we're looking for an attorney with the cajones to fight this. And he said, call Michael Hamilton in Kentucky. He's got cajones. <laughs> and so, uh, so they called me. And I heard their story and immediately knew it was the same word track. It was the same treatment protocol. So the hospitals were threatening the families with the medical bills saying your insurance isn't going to cover this unless you take what we tell you to take. Now I know that remdesivir was the CDC protocol. Now you had given some information to these doctors about the history of remdesivir uh, and its use in the Ebola trials. They've mm -hmm. done this before. They've used remdesivir before. Would you mind telling a uh, us a little bit about what happened during the Ebola trials with remdesivir? Sure. So in, in 2017, um, there was a study done. I think there were four drugs involved, and they were testing them for the purpose of treating Ebola. And within a matter, I believe it was weeks. I don't have a photographic memory like my friend Brian Artis. He can tell you the exact time frame, but I believe it was a matter of weeks. They pulled it because approximately 53, almost 54% of the people who were receiving remdesivir that had Ebola were dying. And they pulled it as being too toxic to use for the treatment of Ebola. Now the CDC, the NIH, they participated and others participated in funding that study. That study was published in the New England Journal of Medicine. And if we fast forward in time, Fauci, who has a vested financial interest in Gilead Sciences, went before the CDC. With, there was a panel. Nine of the panel were members of the NIH. They had, they, had a, they had a vested financial interest in Gilead Sciences. And they waved around that journal study and they said, this proves, this, we have a study here that proves that remdesivir is safe and effective. Where have we heard those words before, right? Safe and effective against the treatment of COVID. 
Well, in fact, not only is it not safe and effective, we know, and I like to stay in my lane, we have medical experts, including Dr. Artis, who could tell you a lot more about what it does, but it causes the symptoms that it claims to treat. It shuts down people's kidneys, it causes multiple organ failure, their lungs begin to fill up with water, um, they develop fluid around their hearts because they can't get rid of the fluid in their body, and, um, and I, I'd like to tell you about the protocol because, but it's a race. Does the person starve to death or do, do they drown in their own fluids? And so this might, be, this might be a good place for me to give you kind of a quick big picture of what the protocol looks like. Because right now I think probably everybody in America knows somebody or knows somebody who knows somebody who died in a hospital and had COVID written on their death certificate. But they were murdered with a protocol, not just the drug itself, but a protocol that surrounds it. So what we discovered, well, and, and, and let me, let me pause for a minute and say something about the connection Fresno. Yep, that sure. we can weave in. Sure. So when Brian connected me to this group in Fresno, I began talking to them. And almost at the same time, they found out about another attorney in California who was a believer and who was fighting medical tyranny. He was fighting vaccine mandates. And he was, he was deep in this battle and they started talking to him because I can't go to California without some California attorney to sponsor me so I can fight that battle. So I got in a conversation with Dan Watkins. Dan and I started talking about this. The first thing we discovered was that we were both believers. We both believed that this medical tyranny was a spiritual battle. The only explanation for it was so deeply evil what they were doing to people. It was so incredibly so evil, evil yes. Yeah. So we knew that this was a spiritual war. The forces of evil were arrayed against God's creation, as they have been for centuries, thousands of years. Satan's ploy is to take what God has made good and corrupt it. And we see that in so many ways. Um, we see it in the vaccines going into perfectly healthy people. And uh, Satan is saying, no, we can make you better than God made you, right? If anybody here's ever listened to Brian Artis, they've heard him talk about that. Dan and I started talking, we, we, came, we, we both agreed this is spiritual war. God has called us into the fight. Now I have a, a kind of a business background and kind of a constitutional background. I don't know anything about medical malpractice. And a lot of our cases don't focus on medical malpractice, but it's, it's part of it. Dan's like, I've been doing nothing but that for like 30 years. So here's a guy who's got the medical background to step into this fight. And over here we've got a guy with a constitutional background and it was patently obvious to us that God had orchestrated this meeting. So as we were talking, I think it was Dan that said, 
I think we've talked before. So we both started <laughs> scraping around in our memories that were like, kind of like a RAM, having too little RAM on a computer, you know, we were dealing with so much. And, uh, and we realized that we had talked and we had tried to connect on um, some vaccine-related issues for uh, first responders around the country that Dan was working on. But our schedules didn't connect and we lost track of our conversation. And here God had brought us back together, both fighting separate fights in this medical tyranny, spiritual war against evil. And, um, and, and so, um, and, and, and Dan will talk about this. He's got some really good ways of describing the way God connects us. But God clearly connected us. We stepped into this battle against remdesivir. Um, and we, um, and so. See, people, you know, we hear a lot about the vaccines uh, and, you know, how deadly they were. But with remdesivir, they were still able to wipe out the unvaccinated. You know, they were able to use the fact that you were unvaccinated as an excuse to, well, now we have to give you remdesivir. And thousands and thousands of people died. And it's almost like a silent killer because you never heard about it. People thought that their relative died of COVID. But That's really, right. they died of the CDC protocol. Would you mind explaining what exactly was that CDC protocol? You had mentioned that people would starve to death. It was a race against if you starved to death or went into renal failure. Now, what was in that protocol exactly? So the protocol works like this. With slight variations, you go into the hospital for any reason. I know someone who went in for hiccups. And they'll test you sometimes eight or nine times to try to get a false result that says you're COVID positive. They don't always even test you, but sometimes they test you multiple times. And they say, look, you've got COVID pneumonia. I'm still waiting for an expert to tell me what COVID pneumonia is. Mm. But whatever it is, they then isolate the patient they, put it, they say, you have to be isolated because you have COVID. They block the family out. In almost every case, the family gets no more access. They drop a loved one off for a sprained ankle or a bumped head or hiccups or real pneumonia or any one of a number of things, shortness of breath. They never see them again. They're isolated. Um, and then they usually right away, I don't know which they do first, but they go, they put a BiPAP machine on their face. It's an oxygen machine. And they crank the levels way up. Now, typically, you're trying to wean somebody off of oxygen so they can breathe on their own. But they're taking people with normal high rates of oxygen, high in the 90%, and putting oxygen on their face and forcing it in. Well, when you have a BiPAP machine on full blast and you're trying to breathe on your own, that's a struggle. And so... People try to pull them off so they can get a breath of air. They zip tie their hands to the bed rails so they can't touch the machine. I have pictures of people with bloody wrists and blackened hands. Mm. But why help them with their circulation if you're planning to kill them anyway? So you strap them down. They say, wow, you appear to be agitated. Let's get you immediately started on morphine and fentanyl or fentanyl and any one of a number of other things that suppress their ability to breathe, that suppress their ability to make decisions, to provide informed consent, to even understand what's happening to them. They pump them full of drugs 
And over the course of their time in the hospital, sometimes they're given 50 or 60 drugs. And often they're contraindicated for use with each other. And, and they start them on remdesivir almost immediately, often on the first day. And in hundreds, if not thousands of cases that we're aware of in all 50 states that have reached out to us, they are, um, people have put no remdesivir signs around the room. I know of one person who wrote it on their arm with Sharpie and they stuck the needle through the words no remdesivir and started them on remdesivir and took their life ultimately. Now, why do you think that the hospitals were so adamant about getting every single patient they could on remdesivir? Well, what we discovered in the course of um, digging into these protocols is that the use of remdesivir has been highly incentivized financially to the hospitals. So I'll give you some numbers in California that are pretty close. They're within a few hundred dollars. And it's almost the same in Texas, coming to the same result. If somebody goes into a hospital in California and you give them, let's say you give them ivermectin. It's, it's an amazing drug. It's very effective. Tell them to go home and have some chicken noodle soup. That's outpatient treatment. The average charge rate in California for outpatient treatment for COVID, $3,600, $3,600. If you bring them into the hospital and you treat them as an inpatient, now the charge rate jumps to about $164,000, somewhere in that neighborhood. But if it becomes a complex case, because the first step is inpatient, non-complex. But if it becomes complex, and in order to become complex, two things have to happen, either of the two things. Only one thing needs to happen. You intubate the person, or you put them in the ICU. Now the BiPAP machine that I described a minute ago is all for the purpose of forcing them into a state where they can show in the records that they needed to be intubated. That makes it a complex case. And now the average charge rate in California jumps to over 450000 Now this is billed to the insurance company. That's right. Unless they decide to get, or they somehow get away, uh, are able to defy those CDC protocols and in, make sure that remdesivir doesn't go into their veins, then they don't have, that's where they were threatening the families. Well, they were threatening the families that if they left, their insurance wouldn't kick in. I think that was probably a lie, but I can't speak to that as an attorney because once they've killed them, we're not even looking at that threat. That's, but, they, but that's what they use to bully people. Maybe the insurance pays for it anyway. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it's not as simple as they're they saying. They were saying that. But they're saying it all over the country. If you leave AMA against medical advice, your insurance won't cover a dime of your stay. Mm. But if they give them... So if they're complex, you're at $450,000. But now here's the interesting thing. The government has given an NCTAP bonus to Medicare and Medicaid-funded hospitals, which covers just about everybody, and said if you give remdesivir to the exclusion of other remedies, to the exclusion of other remedies, 
you get a 20% bump on the entire hospital bill. Well, at 450 plus, now we're looking at something like another $96,000. Again, I'm using really round figures. So if you're sitting out there with a calculator, just know that I have the numbers accurate in our lawsuit, uh, but I'm working from memory. And again, I don't have Brian's memory. But we're talking over $400,000. Well, we're talking at that point, we're talking, um, you know, you had, we're talking well over 500, 550 numbers are, you know, and we're over gets, half a million. That gets billed to the insurance company. That gets billed to the insurance company. And then we also know that through the original CARES Act, there were incentives along the way. In some cases, if you, if you diagnose somebody with COVID, you would get a bonus check for something like $16,000. If you diagnose somebody with, uh, no, if you intubate somebody, I think, I think the bonus check was 30,000 plus maybe. And, and here's the interesting thing. If you put COVID on the death certificate, now the, the number that you get as a bonus check for putting COVID on the death certificate, it varies from state to state. California, I believe the number is like 164,000. Now that doesn't go to the hospital directly. That goes to the state. So for every COVID death certificate in California, the state is receiving 164,000 or whatever. In Kentucky, it's 297,000. So that's why the governors of each state was like, were allowing this to happen in their hospitals because there was an incentive for not only the hospitals, but also the state funding that came with the remdesivir protocols. Yeah, I can't speak to why they were doing it, but I'm a, I'm a big fan of follow the money. And uh, one of the things that Dan Watkins and I are hoping to uncover in these cases is the, the financial trail, who's driving these protocols, you know, is, is it the CDC? We don't know, but through the discovery process in the lawsuit, we're gonna find out. And we're going to find out what all the financial incentives are. Right now, the ones, just the ones that we know about, we know that if you bring someone to the hospital, you put them in the ICU, you kill them with the remdesivir protocol, you're, you're probably charging out about $750,000 all told, as opposed to send them home with ivermectin or, or, or any one of the, there's a number of treatments that work, send them home and, and it's $3,600. So when I look back in time, I look at the fear, the masking for control, the isolation, the vaccines, which caused injuries. When people went to the hospital for those injuries, they told them all they had COVID pneumonia. Like that's, that was a standard protocol. And then they killed them with remdesivir. There's one continuum there. And um, in that continuum, consider that they shut down elective surgeries during the shutdowns which really strangled the hospitals financially. A lot of hospitals almost went bankrupt. I think a few did because they weren't getting that revenue. Now you take a hospital that starved for money and you say, hey, you can send them home healthy, but if you lie to them about what will make them healthy and you give them this poisonous drug that will only create the symptoms you're claiming to cure, how about three quarters of a million? I think there was a lot of financial desperation involved. Um, Dan Watkins and I are, we, we want to get to the, we want to get to the truth of it. Um, you won't believe the stories that we've heard. We've had, 
I don't remember the exact number right now, but I know it's well over 4,000 that have come through our, our website alone to say, this happened to me in my state. Multiple countries. We've had people contribute to us to help say, hey, what's happening to you is happening to us in Australia, in some other country, and we want to stand with our brothers and sisters. Here's a little bit of money that I can help with. Um, it's it's heart-wrenching, heart-wrenching work. And um, Dan and I have discovered that there are a few other lawyers who are doing this work. When we filed these cases, we weren't aware of any other attorney in the country who was doing it, and we have looked hard for attorneys, and we have found a few who have said, I'm not afraid. Um, and, and, you know, when you think about the forces that are arrayed against us, Fauci, Biden, whoever Bi Biden's puppet master is, the NIH, the CDC, there are, and, and folks that are funding the legal defense to the lawsuits that we're filing. filing. I'm a solo practitioner um, from a two-stoplight town. Dan has a small firm when we came together. And we're not, we're not big-time lawyers with huge resources. Quite the opposite. Um, but God clearly told us to step into the battle. We never asked ourselves, should, should we do this? We said, how can we not? How can we not? So every day, I will tell you that Dan and I and our team, Kelly and others, we pray for our clients. I think with the remdesivir cases, we have maybe 19 pending cases in five or six states right now. And people reaching out to us multiple times per day. And the need is far greater than we can possibly accommodate. But we look at this and we say, okay, God, this is your battle. This is your fight. Whatever efforts we have, to God be the glory. But this is his battle. It's not even these people's battle. It's, it's God's battle. And so we pray for our clients. We say, every day we say, Jesus, show us where to step. Tell us what to do. We want to keep our eyes on Him. We want to be found faithful. We'll continue the battle. We're asked constantly, what can we do to help? And I tell people, Dan tells people, our whole team tells people, first and foremost, we need prayer. Because these battles are won when God's army comes together around the country and prays. That's pretty simple. Because God is the one who wins the battle. But He wants us to come before him, the battle was won on the cross. We know how it ends, but we have work to do here and now. And so we, we ask people to pray, but we also want people to understand that our founding fathers had nothing at stake like we do. We are on the brink of a complete tyranny, a murderous, evil tyranny. They had nothing at stake, but like we do now, they didn't want their tea to be taxed. No taxation without representation, right? That is the least of our problems. But they pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor so that we could enjoy freedom. And 
a lot of them died for the liberty that we enjoy now. And it's great. I love to quote the founding fathers because there's some good quotes in there. And there were some brave men and women, but a friend of mine put it really well when he said, it's time to stop quoting the founding fathers and become the founding fathers and mothers for our grandchildren. But how do you do that? Well, Dan and I are taking the humble talents that God's given us as attorneys that he gave us. We didn't develop them on our own. And we're stepping into the fight. We're a couple of modern-day Davids, quite frankly, looking at these monstrous Goliaths. It's not just one Goliath. We're facing an army of Goliaths. And the truth is that Goliath, if you do a little studying, Goliath was not like a 12-foot man. He was probably more like the, the giants in Canaan to, who said these humans look like grasshoppers to us. This guy was easily over 100 feet tall. You could barely see the army when you could see him striding across the horizon. And this little shepherd boy steps out and he says, God's on my side. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to hide. So the question is, how do, you, how do you join God's army? You pray. If you're a God-fearing person, you pray. If you say, I don't know if I'm a God-fearing person, but I hate tyranny and I'll help. Well, our first hope would be that you would become a God-fearing person, that you'd recognize this is a spiritual war and, and you'd, you'd turn to Jesus. But we need people to open their pocketbooks because, th because we can't fight these battles without resources. And, um, and, and what, what I think is hard to remember sometimes is that what we have and that what we own is from God. I'll tell you right now, I don't, I don't have a ton of money. People, you're an attorney, how are you not rich? <laughs> well, um, because I step into these battles. And they don't, the, people aren't paying. These are people, our clients are people with very limited resources. They live paycheck to paycheck like so many Americans. And with the experts, and we've had, we've had a lot of people step in to help, but these cases are still really expensive. Yeah. And, um, and we don't have the resources. But the resources that every person listening right now has in their wallet or in their bank account, whether it's small or large, those are God's resources. And we would ask you to pray about how God wants you to use those resources, where he wants you to put them, because you're not investing in a return on your money. You're investing in the future of your grandchildren. You're investing in your posterity. You're investing in God's battle. You're investing in God's army. And, um, and, and we need people to give sacrificially. I've given. I, I wasn't getting paid for a long time. And I said, hey, God, um, I'm having trouble keeping up with my mortgage. And he said, well, reduce your expenses. So I sold my house, gave away most of my junk, because it's all junk, and I moved to Texas. Now, since then, I moved to Nevada, and I've joined Dan's office, and so that instead of looking at each other over Zoom three or four times a day while we fight these battles, we can look each other in the eye, and we're on the same time zone, and, and, and there's some synergy there. Okay. But we need people to reach deep in their pockets. Okay. And fund not our paychecks, but our clients' expenses.
Here's a really surprising fact. Research shows that even healthy people have wild swings in their blood sugar after eating. Blood sugar is a topic everyone needs to understand because spikes in blood sugar force your pancreas to work harder and are associated with things like weight gain, even risk of heart attack and stroke. Well, the boys at Bioptimizers have a blood sugar optimization product called Blood Sugar Breakthrough. I don't think I'm overstating my case when I say it's revolutionary. Simply take two capsules 15 minutes before each meal and your body will push carbs and glucose into your muscles to be used as fuel instead of turning them into fat. As a result, you'll enjoy more stable energy without the post-meal crash. Plus, you'll have better workouts, faster gains in the gym, easier time leaning out. But perhaps the biggest benefit of all of it is that you'll improve your overall health. You have to try it. For an exclusive offer, go to bioptimizers.com SP. Again, that's bioptimizers.com SP. What does the federal government do with your tax dollars? They waste billions in Ukraine. They give over $2,000 a month to illegal aliens invading our country. They murder scores of Americans with the corona hoax bioweapon jabs. They cheat in the elections and take away your voice. And when you complain about it, like the peaceful protests on January 6th, they put you in prison, torture you, and make up phony indictments against you. The enemy wants you to be a powerless slave that shuts up up and does as you are told. But there is a way out of this tyranny. Freedom Law School has been teaching Americans for over 27 years that no law requires 99% of Americans to file and pay income tax. None of their students who have stopped paying have gone to prison or had their bank account and property stolen by the IRS. Go to freedomlawschool.org today to take five steps to freedom from IRS deception, robbery, and slavery. Totally free to set you free. Go to freedomlawschool.org today. If you're over 35 and like the typical American, you start to feel tired around noon. Your ability to focus just keeps getting worse as you get older. For energy, you've probably tried coffee or tea or even worse, one of those sugary poisonous drinks that promises energy for hours, but they just don't work. Your focus never improves. ESS 60 is a molecule that Big Pharma doesn't want you to know about. That's because Big Pharma is evil and they want to kill you. And also they know how effective this is and they can't make any money off of continuously slowly poisoning you to death. Historically, this is dramatically extending the lives of test subjects, and it's why I'm hooked. My Vital C is made with just two ingredients, olive oil and a powerful nano-antioxidant, 125 times more powerful than vitamin C. That's ESS60. It's also backed by a full 30-day money-back guarantee. Go to myvitalc.com slash stew. Again, that's myvitalc.com slash stew. Also, use the coupon code stewpeters at checkout for an additional 15% off your initial order. That's myvitalc.com slash stew. Dad, how did you first get started in this fight? Well, uh, I started practicing law about 30, 31 years ago, and uh, in the time began medical malpractice, defense work primarily. Uh, developed my own practice later and started doing employment law in addition to that and some insurance litigation and had been looking for a way to get involved in some of these civil rights kind of cases but they're difficult to do if you don't have that background and uh, they're not they don't make any money really unless you've got people that are helping by donations and such and uh, so I didn't do it at all for 29 years until the California the state of California decided to mandate the COVID shot for some of the healthiest individuals on the planet, college students. And at that time, my youngest was finishing his last year at San Diego State University. They were compelling him to get the shot in order to continue and finish his education. He didn't want that. I didn't want that. So 
I took a deep dive and looked at how we could fight against that, began to transition into some of that. We looked at doing uh, restraining orders, injunctions, and that was not having much success across the country. It took a lot of time and we only had a few weeks because he was getting ready to start when they dumped this mandate. And uh, we looked into the religious component that was in opposition to the shot and through some great organizations that I've been affiliated with over the years, uh, Alliance Defending Freedom, Pacific Justice Institute, Life Legal Defense Foundation, I reached out to all of them and asked for help. Like, what do we do? How do I go about this? Because I really had no experience mm. at all on this constitutional type of a case, these mandates, the government exacting tyranny. I was very naive, actually, in many respects on this. And uh, they helped me out, helped me understand how there were so many problems with the science behind the shots, how it conflicted with religious values. And my son looked at all of that and agreed that he wasn't in line with that. So we filed some religious requests for religious exemptions for him and some friends. And uh, that got me going, like, we need to get involved. And God did some amazing things in terms of connections. You know, I, um, for everybody out there, I think it's important to understand if you're looking for a way to get involved, you just got to look to God and say yes. Because he took, you know, I think very linear in practice of law. I see the four points that we need to connect. Whatever those dots are, we connect those dots. We have, you know, the case is done. God doesn't work that way, I've noticed. You know, hmm. he took dots that I didn't even know existed and started connecting me with people that I had no idea I would ever meet. And we got involved in helping, because right behind the mandate in California for college students, the California Department of Public Health said, hey, healthcare workers, you get to get the shot now too in order to keep working. And God introduced me to some real pivotal players, healthcare workers, and in a matter of weeks, we were representing about, or at least talking with about 10,000 people across the state. And it was fast and furious, like I could never have imagined. And I sat in front of my computer one night, it was a Friday night, about one in the morning, emails still coming in, and I couldn't begin to figure out how to keep up. And so I sat there and I, I asked, you know, is this where I'm gonna go? Because this is gonna take over my entire practice. There's no way I can do the other stuff and do this. And I just asked him if that's what he wanted, and I got this idea that you need to say yes, and I did. And from there, it's been nothing but an absolute sprint of a marathon. and. Uh, we ended up working with about 50 different groups of employees against healthcare facilities, over 100 groups of employees against school districts, probably about 15 to 20 different municipalities, groups, the Los Angeles Police Department, we got involved with them and helping out. Uh, Los Angeles City, we now have a lawsuit against them. It goes on and on. The amount of evil behind pushing that mandate was unbelievable. And there were so many people that were discriminated against because of that we were in. Uh, and then through God, again, connecting dots that I didn't even know existed. I got a call on a Saturday from an individual I didn't even know at all. I don't know how I got my cell phone. And I saw his name, James Bradley. Well, I'll pick this up and talk. I was getting calls like crazy. He introduced me to this group of people in Fresno. And the stories that he was telling me were just the top, very top layer of the horrific nature of what was happening. But it was definitely something that I needed to look into further. So we got on the phone, and this is all about the remdesivir protocols. I didn't know anything about it. And I had done medical malpractice defense work for a long time. I heard about these protocols, and initially I thought, 
kind of a hyper reaction, little dr dramatic result. You know, they're, they're looking at this, they're overreacting to what was happening. And the first case led to the second case, led to the 10th case, led to the 20th case. And this is just in Fresno. And that's when I knew something crazy that was going on. And God introduced me to Michael Hamilton. Uh, again, I didn't know him from Adam, except for the fact that we had met about six months prior in a phone call. We were two speed ships passing in the night, you know, speedboat just flying by each other. And we reconnected, talked about the atrocities that were occurring, decided we needed to file some lawsuits just because somebody had to fight against what was happening in some way. Even though there is not an easy fight, somebody had to step in. And that's how we got started with Remdesivir. And then God continued to expose the different types of evil that are out there and helped us come into contact with an amazing young man named Richard who uh, is mentally disturbed, extremely disturbed. Got affiliated with Kaiser, one of the most evil organizations on the planet. They told him he had gender dysphoria. They performed gender mutilation surgery on this young man. Uh, took away his, bright, his, his ability to be a father, even though he wanted that. And he's now pursuing on behalf of Richard. So God has kind of brought me into that arena as well. Michael is helping on in those cases with us. And we're fighting the evil on that front as well. Well, tell me about the Remdesivir cases. Yeah. Um, you know, we've heard some harrowing stories about uh, abuse, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, pay for play. Uh, we've heard about uh, people being tortured and killed. Mm -hmm. uh, do you tell me uh, probably the worst case that you heard during this time? Well, if we go back to when this first came up and you said the word torture, I would try to shut you down. No way. This is not torture. This can't be torture. It's the medical industry. I've defended these people for 30 years. They're good people. And, and the naivete that I was talking about, it was really in relationship to what the medical industry was about. I, I just imagined it had to be something that couldn't be true. And the protocol is very similar case to case. It, it went from one to, we had a press conference when we filed the lawsuit, and within weeks we had thousands from every state, people telling similar stories. Diagnose them with COVID, isolate them, uh, BiPAP machine, run their oxygen down, intubate them, the sedatives, strap them to the beds, uh, deprive them of nutrition, and watch them die. But it's, 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 it's worse than that because the mindset behind the healthcare providers that are driving this was it just flat out evil. We have a case where the doctor was talking to the wife who finally got access to her husband three weeks into this, and he is not in good shape. And she looked over and she said, you know what you're doing is killing him. You know, there's more to the story, don't tell you admit, but you know that what this hospital is not doing for him as well is going to kill him. And his response was, I'm not gonna give up my paycheck. I've got a license practice medicine, and I'm going to continue to do that, and it is not on my hands. I'm not making the decisions, and I'm not going to buck the system. I got money to make. That was his response to her call for help. In that same case, this young woman, one of the most courageous, amazing people that I've ever come across in my life, uh, actually went outside the hospital and got a doctor to issue 
a prescription for ivermectin. He did. They found a doctor in the hospital that was willing to administer the ivermectin. Hmm. When it finally came down to it, they didn't. They would not administer the ivermectin. This young wife had the ivermectin in her hand, figured out how to administer it, and did. Her husband came back around. He woke up while intubated. His oxygen levels came around like crazy. The other, the other physician in the hospital, after her first dose, they gave him more doses of ivermectin. He came back around. Infectious disease in the hospital came down. Two physicians shut it down and said, we are not running ivermectin in this hospital. They shut it down. They would not let her back in. No one else got ivermectin to this guy, and he started to go down. They then got a, uh, someone to help with steroids. Some last-ditch effort to help them. Steroids were implemented. He started doing better. This is not an exaggeration. He started doing better. His oxygen level goes to normal. They come in and shut down the steroids. He dies four days later. Why did they shut down the steroids? Because the only remedy that they can use to get the money is remdesivir. If you're using steroids, if you're using ivermectin, if you're treating this thing with other things that we know work, you don't get the bump on the remdesivir. Remember, it has to be the exclusive remedy available in the hospital. That's the reason. It has to be the reason. Otherwise, you do what helps the patient, right? That's not happening. They are intentionally hiding information from these people. They don't tell them anything about remdesivir and the Ebola study. They don't tell them anything that it's not even directed to treat COVID. There's nothing in remdesivir's history that says it treats COVID, and yet they use it. They don't tell them that. And by the way, now, just to show you the next step of evil, they don't call it remdesivir anymore in the hospitals. What do they call it? Veclery. It's a generic name. Hmm. Because there's such a bad uh, stigma. Because everybody now, or a lot of people now know about remdesivir. So they go and say, no remdesivir. Oh, we're going to give you Veclery. Same exact drug, change the name. That's, it's the same name, it's just no one knows about that. That's the evil behind this. They, they, they lie to the patients. They conceal valuable information to the patients. There's never anyone that's gone in and said, I don't want Veclery uh, or I don't want remdesivir, and they give it to them. That's a battery. They're doing it against the patient's wishes. This is the kind of evil that's behind it. The strapping of hands to the bed. You know, patients, we have multiple patients now deceased, hands strapped with blood, discolorization, and they leave them there because they'll take off the BiPAP or pull out the intubation. It's insane what's going on. I, I thought it was all exaggeration. And these are just, this is just the tip of the iceberg of what's going on. Patients actually find a way to get better and they take it away so the patient can die. It's, it's insane. Now, did you uh, come across cases of foreign doctors who were brought in who are more willing to administer uh, this death protocol? You know, I don't, that's a good question. I have not looked at it from that angle, but I think the scary thing is that I don't see a distinction. Hmm. Now, these are homegrown physicians, homegrown from the sense they went to school here, from here, from, and they're doing this to their neighbors. Wow. That's the part that's more scary to me. Nurses buying in. We have cases where doctors and nurses have sat there and said the patient deserved to die or deserves to die because they never got the COVID shot in the yeah. first place. Yeah, that was a hospital system, pretty major one, uh, that we received a report uh, with that happening. They were running into doctors who were unwilling 
to administer these death protocols, and um, the hospital made an executive decision to, to bring in uh, third-party party nationals, like foreign doctors from Cuba, you know, from Africa and other places, mm -hmm. who then were willing to do what you were describing homegrown doctors doing. I get what you're saying, but there's no distinction because they're both yeah. killing people. Right. You know, I um, haven't heard of that. I don't doubt it for three mm. seconds that the administration would do that if there were doctors that were standing up. And I will say to the defense of many in the medical industry, they are, there are some that are waking up to what's going on and saying no. Uh, with respect to COVID and the shot, for example, uh, we're still in contact with many nurses throughout the state, many healthcare professionals through the mandate work that we do. Uh, and we're hearing stories about doctors actually identifying or diagnosing conditions as an adverse reaction to the COVID shot, which they would not do at all for the very, in the very beginning. There was no adverse reaction to the shot that was diagnosed. Now they're starting to call it what it is. And I think we're seeing because there's, you know, and this goes back to the whole spiritual warfare component of this. Everything about the COVID shot is a lie. Everything about remdesivir and the protocols that they tell you, it's a lie. Everything about gender mutilation is a flat-out lie. There's no scientific basis for any of the things that they say those three things do, and yet they push them as if they help. It's all predicated on lies. And um, so you know, when you look at that and you just did the evil behind it, there's, it, it, I think even it's getting into the medical industry. Now they're looking, they're going, gosh, this is true. How can the VAERS reporting on the COVID shot be so bad if it was good. I think they're starting to see that, right? And then you have so many young men coming in with cardiac problems that should never have a cardiac problem. You have young women who haven't had a period since they got the shot. That should never be the case, but it's happening now in outrageous numbers. And so they're starting to maybe wake up to it a little bit. And so there are a lot of people moving in or moving away from, and that's encouraging for me uh, as we fight these fights because they're still using remdesivir slash vecvary all over the place. We're seeing more people stand down from that, and that is a good thing. Well, in respect to the response, you know, a lot of people have looked at uh, lawsuits and the things that they're getting stuck, uh, you know, whether the jurisdiction or whether the judge is dismissing them and not allowing uh, you know, to be seen. Um, how will your uh, campaign be different? Well, there, is a, there are a lot of defenses to suing for the use of remdesivir, and we can thank our Congress for that. They have put together in the PREP Act more amendments toward COVID, COVID release, relief and, and release of liability uh, for this than any other disease in history. The release of liability, the waiver of liability for healthcare professionals related to remdesivir and COVID countermeasures is ridiculous. Um, tell me your question. I forgot it again. There's a lot of obstacles to suing these very powerful companies yeah. and organizations. Um, how are you planning to overcome them? So we have the PREP Act, which is um, instituted by Congress. It provides all these, these uh, uh, waivers of liability, release of liability. We've got to get past that. We've worked together with uh, another attorney in particular, but a group of attorneys that's coming together across the country to develop causes of action to get around the PREP Act. When Michael and I first got together to file the lawsuits in Fresno, we knew we had to deal with that. And so we looked at other ways to possibly attack the hospital. And so we've come up with cause of action, elder abuse, for example, the fraud associated with the lies, the failure to advise them of the, incident, the financial incentives, you know, behind all that as it relates to informed consent. 
and we just have put as much effort as we can into getting around the PREP Act, which focuses primarily on the medical treatment and come at it at different angles. There has been some success in getting through the motion to dismiss phase, which is the initial attack on the claim, and that's very promising for us. We have, and then going back to God and his connections, and particularly with respect to our team, uh, Michael is an incredibly good writer, an incredible constitutional mind. Uh, we have another attorney that's joined our firm, came to us from God completely, a guy named Conrad Herring. Conrad is so creative. And we've come up with some angles to take on our more recent complaints to address ways around even the PrEP, going right at the PrEP Act itself. So, you know, we're just stepping in, learning as we go, because this has never happened. There's never been cases like this filed in, you know, prior to remdesivir. Um, we're trusting in God, really, because if you don't fight, you're guaranteed to not win, right? There's no chance of stopping it. And when we looked at this, it was kind of like Michael had said at one point, you know, what? we can't not do this. We have to do this. You know, I've been very fortunate to have a lot of experience taking depositions of doctors and scientists and people, experts. And Michael's got an incredible career of constitutional law, and he's such a great thinker. And uh, God put us together to take these forces. And we are humble guys. I mean, we're not coming from big firms. We don't have that real polished background. Neither of us do. But we have God bringing us together saying, take what I've given you and let me multiply your skills into victory for these people. And let me define what victory is. Just you get in there and you fight. And that's what we did. And so we've started to reach out. There's more attorneys that are showing some interest in these cases. We're praying and we're looking. And my, my pitch to anybody out there that practices law, if God is asking you to say yes on this, say yes. He'll take care of you. We need people in this fight. We need more people thinking about how to get around the immunities of the PREP Act. We need more people thinking about how to get to the discovery that we need in these cases, right? Um, and so uh, that's how we're doing it. Really just saying yes, stepping into the fray, calling on God, having him connect dots we don't even see, and we take it one day at a time, and we face the battles as they come. Because it's hard to even project what's going to happen you know, too far down the road because there's no real examples to follow. What's the website? DeclareTruth.us. That's where we have um, a place where people can go and donate money, which is absolutely necessary to fund these cases. You know, one thing I wanted to say about funding these cases, too, in terms of activism, it's not just the people that we are representing that need help. They do because experts cost a lot of money. Uh, depositions cost an exorbitant amount of money. But the money that we raise will be used to build a template to train other attorneys and to fund other cases too. So it's not that we're just trying to fund the cases we have. The idea behind Declare Truth is to help educate, provide a template for, support other attorneys who don't have experience in MedMal, who don't have experience in fighting constitutional issues or the government or tyranny, but have a heart. So that's what we're trying to raise money for as well. So we can bring other attorneys across the country together. They can go fight independent on their own be funded. We have a, a, a bank of uh, you know in, intellect coming together with attorneys that they can dive into. So that's what we're trying to form with Declare Truth as well. How much are you guys trying to raise? How much like does each case cost? An estimate. Well, 
financially, the expense part of each case is well over $100,000. Just the expense part alone, that doesn't really include attorney's fees. Uh, if you take a look at the entire thing that Declare Truth is trying to do, just one year, it's, it's going to be about $6 million. We have over 3,000 people we're representing in California who've been fired because they believe that they shouldn't take the shot. Uh, these trander mutilation cases are very expensive. Uh, boy, we want to ramp that up. We need more. We, we want to help more and more people who've been mutilated for that. And then, of course, the families for remdesivir, you know, they are some of the best people I've ever met in my life. God-fearing, wonderful Americans, hardworking. All they want to do is support their family, live their lives, be a be a, a, a productive member of the community, and they're they're having their families, their husbands are being taken away, the dads are being taken away, mothers are being taken away, for nothing more than money, and we need we need you know the one thing that the defense has is a ton of money, Soros dumping money into this like crazy, all the defense firms in the country, the biggest ones, they meet on a regular basis, they pool all their resources. All their heads come together, and it's all being funded. They get paid to do that. Um, we're trying to create that on our own at a grassroots level. We have some incredible organizations that we've been able to start working with. Former Feds is one in particular. And we're bringing attorneys together. Uh, they're donating their time. Everybody's in here volunteering their effort and their time. And we need to be able to find a way to support them financially to grow that number, because I think there are hearts for it. One of the things that attorneys say no, because these cases just don't have any real positive return. There's no experience or history to show you I can make a living off of this. And when you're trying to run an office, that's an important part of it. If we can provide them a little bit of a cushion, a little bit of a blanket for some help financially, maybe not pay for everything, but pay for something, they can donate more of their time, give back a little bit more of their time, and not be so concerned about running their office and paying for those things then that would be a great, great success. And that's really what we're trying to do in terms of raising funds uh, and fight this, the remdesivir fight in general. And it's not going to end, by the way. This, there'll be something else. And so the more people we can train now, the more people whose hearts can be uh, let go so they can get out there and, and lend uh, their hand to this, the more people will have ready when the next mandate comes down, when the next remdesivir comes across the board, because there's going to be other types of diseases that are going to find their way into the population that we're going to have to fight. And they're going to try and Big Pharma is going to do it with medication and we're going to say no. And the more people we can have at the ready now, the better off we'll be to fight back later. Do you have a success case? Have you guys won a case already on this? Not on the Red Desert, not on any of them. Actually, the litigation process is very slow, but we have had successes in terms of the law in motion side. So on the uh, cases where people were fired, because they didn't take the shot, we have prevailed on motions for some, on a motion for summary judgment. The first one that was filed, we prevailed, and we're going to trial on that case in February. Hmm. We have another case set for trial in in March. Uh, on those cases, um, we have they just take a long time. Uh, on the remdesivir side, we've had successes on the preliminary attacks against the complaints, getting past the prep act and getting into litigation. Um, so that's been successful. And then in terms of the mandate, or excuse me, the gender mutilation cases, uh, we are just in the beginning stages of that. Have you found that in states like Florida, it's been easier to get these cases progressed or are there other states where? Uh, actually, Florida, 
I haven't done a ton of research. Initially, I understand there was some passage of legislation at the state level making the remdesivir cases even more difficult because of immunities provided to the healthcare industry. Let's Once talk about that. Yeah, so I was going to ask about immunities because mm -hmm. we know that um, there were some immunities granted to some actions during the pandemic and mm -hmm. administration of drugs, uh, which remdesivir, I believe, would be classified as. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a lot of protections for doctors nationally. Here in the state, in, in Florida, you know, Governor DeSantis allowed for certain immunities to be given for this? I'm, I'm, my understanding is when we first, like I said, when we first started this, we were receiving emails from across the country in a rapid pace. Florida was one of the leaders. The size of the population, I think, when part of it was that. But we received a lot of emails from people in Florida who had lost loved ones as a result of the protocols. And uh, we looked into it, and at about that time, I had heard through the group of attorneys that DeSantis signed in a bill that provided a broader protection of immunities than even the PrEP Act itself, making it more difficult to bring these cases. I don't know the details, and, and in all fairness, I, once we heard that about Florida, the numbers were so high in other states, we just stopped because we couldn't afford any more difficult of a fight, for sure. Wow. So we stopped looking into that. Um, but the PrEP Act, which is what... I think Governor Sanchez has expanded, really. Uh, it has um, an immunity for any what they call covered countermeasure. So anything that's used to treat COVID, that could be a piece of equipment that manufa is manufactured wrong and causes injury to the patient. If it's treating COVID, it's covered, that manufacturing defect. Any medication used to treat COVID in any combination, you got Medazolam being used with morphine, being used with fentanyl, all together. Uh, now, I don't know that it's a pharmaceutical problem, but they're taking these medications, they're mixing them in these crazy combinations that's never been used to assist in killing these people. That's all covered. There's even an argument that failing to give the information that's required, such as, hey, remdesivir kills people, that that's covered. Now, we're fighting that. And that's one of our angles to go through is that you can't have an immunity when there's no consent for the care. So that we're attacking the PREP Act directly on that issue. One of the ideas, and this goes back to funding, what we would like to be able to do in the right jurisdiction, we're going to lose on the PREP Act portion of it, the medical malpractice in some of these cases. We want to appeal that. But appellate attorneys and the time and effort needed with that is expensive. But we want to attack the PREP Act itself because it's allowing physicians and more importantly the hospital administration to kill people. And we've had doctors say, you can't do anything to me. I'm, I have immunity to the patients of the loved ones, or excuse me, to the loved ones of the patients they're killing. They've told them that. We have immunities. So um, we're trying to get after that to attack that, to break that down too because it just is... It's, it's, it's crazy to me that we have a group of people in charge in Washington that are allowing this to happen. One of the groups that um, this is going to educate is actually law enforcement. Mm -hmm. um, we've heard a story about um, police officers being brought in and they were afraid, they were intimidated to, uh, to challenge the, the doctors, the medical uh, you know, uh, administration at this hospital in question. Uh, could, do you have any other examples where the law enforcement uh, were we're afraid to intervene because uh, here in Florida, especially our sheriffs are empowered. If someone's being killed, mm -hmm. someone's being hurt, uh, the sheriff has uh, leeway to go in and prevent harm. 
but it does appear to be um, a catch-22 when it comes to the hospitals. They, as you noted, uh, have a green light to do whatever they want, even if it's for money. Mm -hmm. It involves in someone dying, no one's going to get held accountable. But mm -hmm. what other stories from the field have you, have you heard in respect to the law enforcement? Well, Michael tells a story about how he went in to help a nurse hmm. who had been diagnosed with COVID even though she didn't have it. And they eventually killed her through the protocol. He had at one point said, call the police. They came out. And then they approach it. And the police. Because you'd imagine the police would want to intervene when it comes to uh, someone being murdered in, in a county or a hospital. Right. I mean, we talked about that earlier. People uh, going into the hospital and giving, they're, they're giving them a desert and they say, don't give it to me. That's a battery. And it's technically a, or a criminal battery, if you look at it, because it's a dangerous chemical. But the police get there and they face the medical industry. They're wearing their white coats. They throw around their... Uh, opinions about what this is designed to do and the police don't have any real information to rely on right and as soon as they start talking about the care and the treatment of the patients the police dismiss it as a civil matter there's nothing they can really do even in the in even in the idea that they're giving them treatment that they're not uh, that they said no to it's still going to be painted as a civil matter because in part two Hospital administrators come down and they start exacting their authority over the hospital. They know what's best for the patients and so on. And so the police, to their defense, are left a little bit uh, handcuffed. You know, there's not much that they can do uh, against that because the, the medical industry comes down so hard on them. And, uh, you know, it leads me to another, we were talking earlier about ways around the PrEP Act. And, one of the thoughts that's come to mind and that the attacks we're going to take is going after the hospital administration for practicing medicine without a license because many of the people at the top of the hospitals do not have medical licensure and uh, or it's expired or lapsed or what have you and they're the ones that are saying this is how we're going to treat the protocols are rolling out from the top at least that's what we're hearing what we really hope to uncover in the discovery process is that exactly the hospital administration's telling the doctors what they have to do it would make sense because they're the ones that are going to get the money and the endowments that are going to be following from all of that. And uh, so we're going to go after them, you know, and because they're the ones pushing the treatment. They're saying treat these people a certain way, but they don't have the experience to do that. They don't have a license to do that. So hopefully that's a way in to get after these people as well. And then that's personal against them too. Oh, sure. Uh, it does appear that uh, many of the doctors and nurses, um, they've operated under uh, protection of just passing the buck. You know, it's a certain degree of ignorance. They maintain that ignorance, then they'll stay out of, uh, you know, trouble. You know, they can always pass it off to the nameless bureaucrat or official in charge of the hospital. What you're saying is if you get a doctor to say, why I did this because my hospital administration said we must do this, and then you get the hospital administrator to admit that, yes, they've made this, uh, they made this rule, you have a shot at basically, uh, you know, going after the hospital, the heart of the hospital, which is the, uh, the administration of it. Right. The decision makers, mm. right? Because they're the ones that are driving the policies that are killing patients. They really are. It can't be anything but that. Um, and they're doing it under the protection of the PrEP Act, which our Congress saw fit to put into place. And there's no effort to roll back some of the immunities that I'm aware of. Nobody's in Congress saying, whoa, wait a minute. And I think, you know, we've heard reference to thousands of people. I would venture to guess it's hundreds of thousands of people have died from remdesivir. Uh, they stamp a COVID, you know, they put COVID on the death certificate as if that's the cause of death. I would challenge, I, I don't have the scientific background. I don't have the medical background. 
But boy, I, would, I wish I had the time because I think if somebody really did a deep dive into that, we would find that most of these people didn't die from COVID. They died from the treatment related to COVID or they died from other comorbidities associated with the COVID process, right? And uh, there were definitely people that COVID, you know, made their life more difficult and they passed because they got COVID. But I think it was part of a bigger problem with those people medically. And when we see it today, you have a 99% chance plus of survival from COVID with most demographics. And yet we're using a drug, a chemical that is known to cause renal failure, that is known to cause kidney problems, that is known to exacerbate the conditions that COVID supposedly causes. We're using that to treat COVID. It's, it's just so backwards. It doesn't make any sense. And the FDA recently approves remdesivir for kidney treatment <laughs> with its track record of causing renal failure. That's how upside down the world is right now. We're gonna prove it to treat kidneys and the kidney problem we're treating is actually exacerbated by the thing we're using. It's just upside down. Well, one of the most frustrating parts is that the medical establishment um, is in bed with the government on this mm -hmm. and uh, you can't label remdesivir as poison, you know, legally. You're looking at it, so they would say, well, it's, a, it's just one of the tools that are available. Uh, in respect to that, uh, would you say that in every case when remdesivir was used, was it always negative? Well, we don't know about the positives because people aren't reporting those to us. So I can't really comment on that if somebody went in and, and then we'd have to do an analysis on whether you know, the actual administration of remdesivir made things better for the patient or they, it just didn't get bad enough that it took the patient's life because they were strong enough or healthy enough to recover from what they were doing. And I will say that I, I am, I'm certain there are places that people can go and be treated for COVID and not run into these protocols. It's not being pushed out everywhere. It's just being pushed out in a lot of places and by a lot of large and powerful organizations like Kaiser you know, and other large healthcare maintenance organizations. They push it down through their uh, hospitals. And so, but there are places people can go and be treated uh, and not face remdesivir. You know, not, just, those places aren't getting all that, that money from the back end. In regard to um, like the discovery process, if you get to this with some of these big hospitals, would you be able to ask how much remdesivir was purchased and then how much they still have in inventory? Mm -hmm. And then maybe from there you could actually determine how much was administered uh, during the pandemic or? Well, we would, it would be with respect to each of the individual patients, but one of the things that we will hopefully get to is, uh, and, and part of getting at the hospitals, the use of medications, the charging for medications that weren't necessary in the care. And we have, and that's now fraud, right? And so we have what's really been a great thing from God, uh, a lot of intelligent, smart, God-fearing experts out there to help. I shouldn't say a lot, we have some very brave and courageous people. Uh, people that are gonna talk about the toxicological nature of remdesivir at a very intelligent scientific level. Doctors who can look at the medications and say immediately, this cocktail of sedatives is only set to hurt and harm the patient. Nothing about that cocktail helps the patient. And so we'll have those experts that will be coming on board and helping us uh, testify as to their knowledge and their experience. Uh, of course, the other side will have experts who will say the other side of that. But with that, if you're giving medications that are not used for treatment, not designed to help, the next question is, is that a covered countermeasure? That's an argument we're making. And just to tail off on that, remdesivir, our argument now is, at least in part, 
It's not a covered countermeasure under the PREP Act because it's not actually designed to treat COVID. We're going to be pressing them for the scientific basis, the evidence, the medical evidence that shows remdesivir actually is designed to treat COVID. If you're using it and it's not designed to treat COVID, how is it protected as a countermeasure under the PREP Act? So those are some of the things that are developing with working from our, with our experts who are shining a light onto this and saying, hey, you know, this thing doesn't really do what it's supposed to do and you can take this angle. Um, but if they're giving them drugs that they're not supposed to, it gets, they're, they're billing for it. Now we got fraud, at least fraud claims along those lines. So those are some things we really want to dig into because those are some, I think, egregious violations by the hospital that go beyond just the patient care. Now you're starting to defraud the government because they're receiving Medi-Cal money or Medicaid money, Medicare money from the government to treat these people. This is taxpayer money that's going to the hospitals to commit crime. And so hopefully we can get into some of this or at least let them know we're close enough that they do something right for the patients that they've, you know, and their loved ones that they've hurt. Okay, good. So I've got some thrilling news to share with you. The Bioptimizer's Black Friday mega sale is in full swing. And guess what? It's not just a one day thing. It's happening throughout the entire month of November. Now, you already know that I have unwavering trust in Bioptimizers. These guys are the real deal when it comes to improving digestion. And let's not forget about their top of the line magnesium. It's truly the best on the market. Plus, they back up their products with a rock-solid 365-day money-back guarantee, no questions asked. You won't find a better Black Friday deal anywhere else, and not even on the mighty Amazon. Biggest discount that you can get and amazing gifts with purchase are available only on my page, bioptimizers.com slash Peters with a code StuPeters. We all have those never-ending Black Friday wish lists, but this year, I challenge you to put your health at the top of that list. Why wait? Choose health over unnecessary things this Black Friday. Head over to bioptimizers.com slash Peters. Use promo code Peters at checkout. Remember, it's bioptimizers.com slash Peters with code Peters at checkout. What if I told you there was a hostile alien species that controls your appetite, sleep and focus, invaders that urinate and defecate throughout your body whenever they are hungry? They will give you headaches, make you depressed and even angry if they don't get what they want. We call them parasites, and they are the root cause of many health issues that result in pain, suffering, and death. It is time to purge suddenly. It's you or them. Make your move now. I don't believe in the process of elections. I believe it's all rigged. I believe that they're all stolen. And the more I talk about this with experts every day, the more I'm convinced that we're living in this movie. It's all fake. But let's just say that somehow, magically, overnight, we return to this constitutional republic, two-party representative government system where your vote counts, and it's real. There's not a single candidate who's willing to throw their balls on the table and stand up to do the right thing. The institutions that we rely on, the government, the legal system, the media, all of them seem to be increasingly focused on their own agendas rather than serving the interests of the public. We need to recognize that we can't count on them to save us. So you have to save yourself. And part of saving yourself means protecting your future. That's why I partnered with GoldCo. Because I believe that they can help you get into gold and silver just like they did for me. Here's the facts. GoldCo has helped protect over $2 billion in gold and silver for people just like you and me. And right now they're offering up to $10,000 in bonus silver with qualified orders just for being a supporter of the Stu Peters Show. 
So whether you want to protect 50 grand or a half a million or more, this is your opportunity to protect yourself from their out-of-control, corrupt government. Don't be a victim. Call GoldCo, 855-706-GOLD. Again, 855-706-GOLD or go to goldco.com slash stew.